Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And on today's podcast, I got a chance to talk to Brad Brooks from Argali. And Brad is a really cool guy. We have a cool conversation about uh, hunting in Kodiak and hunting coos deer, our shared love of wild places, and also his company, uh, Argali. So Argali, they got started actually making films, um, and then they branched into products and product design. They have several really useful pieces of gear for backcountry hunters. Um, and the guys over there were kind enough to send me some of their stuff to try out. And I have one of their Sirac knives. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but this thing is an awesome little knife. Um, I, I love knives. I have a ton of knives. I've tried out many different types and brands. And I'm really not exaggerating when I say that this is honestly one of the best knives I've ever held in my hands. For real. This thing, it just feels right when you pick it up. The balance is on point. It is extremely well balanced. Um, The weight, it's very lightweight, low profile, um, but the ergonomics and the fit in your hand for me are just perfect. The material used on the grip is, uh, just for lack of a better word, it's really grippy. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it, Um, but it's not going to be slipping around in your hand, even with blood on or whatever. It's made from this S35VN steel, and man, this thing is razor sharp. I mean, I literally, I tried, you know, shaving my arm with it, and it was no problem. I have not broken down an animal with it yet, but I am confident it will do the job nicely, and um, it's just a really quality product. Uh, Made in America, Argali's based in Idaho. So it's always nice to have American-made product. Um, The other thing they sent me is I have a set of their uh, large game MOB or mob pack. I'm not sure how they say it, but it's a set of their game bags. And it's four large game bags that can fit, you know, um, a whole bone-in elk or caribou. And then it's got an extra bag for extra pieces of meat in there. Um, And this is another just product that you can tell they put a lot of effort and care into designing you know on my last trip to alaska i used sort of these cheap throwaway game bags you know just cheesecloth material whatever and not only are they not very durable and very useful they they take up a ton of room in your pack um and then again you kind of have to throw them away every season but these things are um made of a really high quality material they're light and they pack down really small. They come with a stuff sack. And uh, yeah, they, they have reflective uh, material in the drawstrings and there's a reflective logo so they're kind of easy to see at night. The material, like I said, is um, really high quality and washable and reusable. They have these little tabs on here that you can use to hang your meat from. So um, I'm definitely going to be using these game bags as well as this knife on my Kodiak trip and my Wyoming trip this year 
and probably all my future hunts. Um, if you're in the market for a new backcountry hunting knife or game bags, I highly, highly recommend you check out our gollyoutdoors.com. And they just came out with a really cool new product, which which Brad talks about here in the podcast as well, that released uh, last week, actually. So definitely check it out. And if you go there and you enter the discount code HQ10, you'll be able to save 10% on your order. Uh, so you can save a little bit of money there. And um, it's definitely worth it because, like I said, you can really tell that these products were designed with care and made with care, and their customer service is on point. They're backed up with a warranty. Everything's made in America. So highly, highly recommend you check out argalioutdoors.com, and uh, you won't regret it. So let's go ahead and jump into the episode, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. Here with my guest, Brad Brooks from Argali. Yeah, man, I've been looking forward to sitting down and talking to you. Thanks for being on. Yeah, no, it's great to chat with you, Hunter, and thank, I really appreciate you having me on. So Yeah, man. Kind of like what inspired me wanting to have this conversation um, was, so we're planning a trip to Kodiak Island in August this year, last week of August, and there's lots of, well, a fair amount of good video content of guys hunting in Kodiak, but most of them are in that October, November timeframe. And y'all did a film, um, in August and same style we're going to do. We're doing a drop camp flying in to the Alpine. And so it's kind of pretty similar to what we're going to be doing. So, so I, I enjoyed those films, man. How was that hunt? Oh yeah. Well, it was, it was, you know, everything you'd want if you're, uh, um, you know, a deer junkie like I am. Um, it, it feels like an early season archery mule deer hunt you would do in the West because everything's still really green. The deer are still in that red, they have that red coat. It, it they just stick out like a sore thumb everywhere. And yeah, it's, it's temperate weather for the most part. I mean, you get some rain, but it's pretty moderate temperature wise. Um, that was my first trip to Kodiak. I'm actually going back this year. So I, oh, I will nice. be there at the same time again. Um, oh, nice. Uh, I'm doing uh, as part of this bigger Alaska trip I got going on, but I'm just bringing my bow with me this time. Cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I really think the most people go to Kodiak to hunt the rut because you can hunt, you know, you can get three tags and you can hunt deer in the rut, which is an absolute blast. And I think that's the trip that most people want to go do. And it's, frankly, it's a lot easier to kill big bucks during the rut because they're out. Um, <clears throat> they're not hiding and they also come down a lot lower. So you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, poke around as much to find big deer during the rut. And I wanted to go early largely because it fit my schedule better. And I yeah. had read a lot about people going in the early season. I talked to, I talked to a few people who had done it and really liked it. So I was like, well, let's just give it a, give it a rip. But uh, most of the information I had going into it was that it was incredibly hard to find deer during the early season. And they had a, there was a, there was a fairly significant winter kill. Um, let's see, what would that be last winter? Mm-hmm. And the way that Kodiak's, you know, my, I'm not, I'm not an expert here, but my understanding is that their deer populations are uh, the, really the, the biggest impact of their populations is winter kill. Um, right. It's not yeah. hunter. Sure. sure. Um, there's just a, a fairly abundant population of deer there. And so they had a fairly significant winter kill. And I was, question whether or not it was a good idea to even go 
because it was such a severe winter kill. And a lot of, a number of people that I know that had were planning to go to Kodiak canceled their trip. Mm. Uh, so we went, it was, it was fun. Uh, a little bit of uh, anxiety about whether or not it was going to be, there were going to be enough deer there. And we ended up, uh, th- there were certain parts of the Island that I heard there, there were just weren't many deer, but where we were at, there were, I thought plenty of deer, frankly. Um, yeah. Uh, but I've been told by people that are regulars there that it's nothing like it usually is. Um, so curious to see what it's going to be like going back this year. Yeah, man. You killed a monster. That second one. It was, <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny because I don't, I've never killed a black tail before. And when I, when I shot that buck and walked up to it, I'm like, this seems like a big black tail. <laughs> and then I texted some buddies of mine who are black tail junkies. And they're like, dude, that thing's a, that, that is a monster. It is. And yeah. It's, it's, it was a big buck, man. He's got a lot going on. It's like, I've killed some nice bucks in my life, uh, like mule deer bucks, but that thing was probably like the biggest like representation of one of the subspecies of deer that I've killed. Um, but it's just, it's like a black tail. So they're just smaller generally. So they don't get like, you know, in terms of that, like wow factor, if you held like a 200 inch mule deer up against, you know, the equivalent of a 200 inch mule deer and a black tail, most people are going to be like, more impressed by the mule deer right. not the tail. because they just don't it's like a frame of reference type thing they're like yeah. okay i know that's a big deer the mule deer looking at the black tail they're like looks big looks nice but it's still small yeah yeah probably the transition will be a little easier for me and for maybe some other guys that are listening coming from out east because i've never actually shot a mule deer yet so you know killed only whitetail and mainly like southeastern whitetail so probably fairly similar i'm assuming in size probably probably a little bit smaller yeah um for the most part but yeah i'd say um and, and again i haven't i haven't killed i've tried to kill some of your southeastern whitetail um i've been uh, uh i went on a hunt one for like two days with my buddy taylor up in uh, the suburbs of virginia which is like a very interesting experience hunting in people's backyards oh in northern virginia Yes, it was Northern yeah. Virginia, <clears throat> hunting on like wealthy people's estates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, like it was surreal for me because most of the I don't really see people when I go hunting. Vast right. majority of the time, and that was like you know you're parking on a in, literally like a subdivision. <laughs> it was just a totally totally different experience for me. And there were dogs barking, and from the tree stand, I'm seeing people walk around, people be in their backyard like raking leaves and. It was just, it was different, uh, but I liked it. It was really fun, actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that's some of the struggle of out east. I mean, I'm in, I'm in a hunt club. I'm actually blessed. Like, I'm in this hunt club that we have, like, 8,000 acres, which for around here is a big chunk of land. Um, and But still, this year, uh, I shot a nice buck on opening day, and after I shot, I hear this lady, like, stop shooting like yelling at me from her backyard i was like are you kidding me <laughs> yeah oh, it's man. just different yeah different, different scale and just different different but i you know i uh you know i think a lot of guys i always hear this like east versus west like thing going on which i think is kind of silly i mean i'm interested in all of it and i think all of it is is interesting in its own right and all of it can be challenging i don't think there's one thing, you know, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to do is to hunt a lot of different places for a lot of different animals. And I love doing that. It's one of the things I love about Kodiak is going into a foreign environment and 
try, you just got to figure it out. And I think that makes you a more well-rounded hunter. Mm. You know, I, there are a lot of people that I, that I, um, sort of around who, who are very, they're specialists in one thing. They, they're really into elk, they're really right. into mule deer. And I, you know, if you were to ask me like one species the rest of your life, it would be like mule deer, no doubt. But, you know, sort of the, um, the, the, one of the, for me, at least let me say like one of the great things about hunting is exposing yourself to foreign species and foreign landscapes and it sure. really pushes your, your skill set. But if you can, if you do that and you're open to failing in those environments and trying something new, it really makes you a better hunter in general, having that generalist skill set where it's like, I can hunt turkeys in Georgia and I can hunt them in the mountains of Idaho or Washington. Like if you do that enough, it's like you, you can be airdropped into more places and be more successful. If you only, if you are a successful elk hunter and you kill an elk every year with your bow, good for you. <clears throat> but if you know, but that skill set doesn't necessarily translate to other species. And that's the wonderful thing about hunting to me is like trying new things and, and just, you know, learning. And that's the, the sort of the fun of it. Yeah, man. Just the challenge and the adventure and seeing new land and exploring yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, coming from the East, you know, a lot of guys, you know, dream about going out West. And of course it is a dream. And, um, but like you said, you know, you got to remember like to, to, to count your blessings no matter where you are, because, um, even though, you know, I'm planning, like I said, I'm going to Kodiak this year, then I'm going to do a pronghorn in Wyoming, um, in October. But, uh, I mean, it's also great being out here because we have long season, big bag. Like I killed six whitetails this year and like, I, I'm not going to buy an ounce of beef all year to feed my family. And like, it's just great, you know? Oh yeah. My, uh, my buddy, Brian, who lives uh, down in Alabama, he always gives me a hard time. He's like, you know, he's like, you West Coast guys, you, you, you talk about hunting a lot. We just go hunt. <laughs> and and uh, it's like, because we get, you know, you get one deer tag oftentimes in one state, one elk tag. Yeah. Um, and, you know, anymore, I feel like, you know, because of the advent of things like Go Hunt, you know, people are, the knowledge about tags and tag opportunities has increased astronomically. Right across the West. And it's not without consequence, frankly. Um, you know, it's, the number of hunters sort of hunting in the West has increased dramatically. It's, it's reducing tag opportunities, reducing over-the-counter opportunities across the country. But, you know, y'all out East, you guys can just like, you know, you can shoot a lot of deer in yeah. one season, which is like, which is really fantastic. Yeah. It's cool. It's, um, yeah, you, like I said, you got to just, there's positives and negatives, everything. You just got to be, be grateful for what you can do but yeah, yeah i mean um it just going back to kodiak like it just looks it looks so epic in august too just everything's so green it's like jurassic park or something you know yes. it is like jurassic park and i mean the whole island is just carpeted in food too so like you know if you haven't if you haven't it'll probably be similar to uh, i actually don't know what the, the vegetation is like where you're at hunting caribou but it was similar for me in the arctic in that the floor is carpeted in blueberries. So you have this yeah. like <clears throat> spongy sort of soft floor. It's not tundra. And if you have never, anybody who's listening, if you ever walked on, excuse me, on tundra, the tundra is one of the most difficult surfaces you will ever walk on in your life. Yes. And there's no way to describe it. You have to experience it to understand it. It's a humbling surface to walk on. Yeah. But the, the surface of Kodiak is this lush, um, 
it's just this lush, uh, uh, you know, sort of green fruit filled, um, uh, sort of like under canopy and floor, you know, then you have like these big raspberry thickets. So there's just lots of like berries everywhere, which is why it has the biggest bears in the world. Right. Mm. But then you get down into these, it is like Jurassic park, man. And you look out across the landscape and you're like, Oh, it just looks like grass for as far as you can see you, what you don't realize is some of that grass is, you know, six and a half, seven feet tall. It's taller than you are. And then you get into these alder thickets that look like, oh, that just looks like a little bit of brush. And it's it's damn near impassable. So it has this like Jurassic Park look that is really like deceiving in some ways as you look at look at it. And then you realize that like once you know you do a little bit of walking around where we we're at, we didn't see any brown bears while we were out hunting, which I'm surprised about, but they're all over the place. And at that time of the year in August, they're mostly down on the rivers eating fish. Mm-hmm. Um so that was part of the reason we hunted a little bit higher and camp a little bit higher. But I was, you know, a lot of people have told us we were crazy to camp out on Kodiak with all <laughs> the rolling around there. Yeah. Um, and maybe we are, I don't know, but I, you know, just, I don't know. Bears are what they are. You just got to yeah. kind of be smart about it and, and don't do anything, you know, try not to do anything stupid, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool place. I think you're going to have a blast. Um, and you'll just just the experience of Kodiak. The other thing about Kodiak that's interesting, it's a fairly affordable Alaska hunt yeah. mm-hmm. by Alaska standards. So, you know, bush your your biggest cost going to Alaska is typically your bush flight if you're gonna fly in somewhere. And in Alaska in Kodiak it's, it's typically a little bit cheaper uh, yeah. to go there. Yeah, the our bush flight for for example, um, on this Kodiak gig is half of what a caribou flight costs. Per person, yeah, yeah, that sounds about yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, and so yeah, for guys that are listening that think, oh, you know, Alaska is kind of unreachable, or whatever. This hunt is really not, and actually, you there are some uh, hunting opportunities in Kodiak from the road system as well. There are, yeah, for most of the locals do, and then yeah, and you could do. I mean, you could do combo fishing hunting trips. I think you know Alaska is very approachable for a lot of people. I think you know for me. I think any, you know, any working class guy can, can go to Alaska mm-hmm. if you make it a priority. I think people sort of view it as this like, oh, it's just, it's just so expensive and so difficult to like logistically. It really isn't. You know, you can, anybody can do it. Anybody can really afford it if they prioritize it. It might not be every year, but it could be every few years yeah. um, if you really um, try and make it happen. Yeah. I would say for, for most people, I don't want to say like everybody can afford to do it. Everybody's financial situation is different, but you know, you can, for the, if you are smart about, you know, you get a credit card with Alaska airlines, build some airline miles, you can pay for your commercial flight for free. And then, you know, you're going to have a few, a little bit of hotel costs. Um, you can, you can do a DIY trip and, you know, for thousand or 2000 bucks, um, you can do an Alaska trip for, for blacktails and you don't have to go to Kodiak. There's, you know, that's the other thing is there's phenomenal blacktail hunting all up and down sort of Southwest or Southeastern Alaska. Yeah. And there are some more affordable options as well outside of Kodiak. Yeah. And like you said, you can pick up those tags just over the counter. You can get three. Um, also, you know, caribou is over the counter. Um, there are walk-in opportunities. If you go back and listen to our Alaska DIY episodes, you can hear about those. And another cool thing Alaska does is like, if you buy a tag, for example, caribou, 
it's good for any other species with a less expensive tag. So if you buy a caribou tag, uh, like for example in Kodiak, some parts of the island there is a feral reindeer or caribou herd. So we were talking about possibly buying a caribou tag, but it's also yeah. valid for any other species below it in monetary value tag wise. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Did you guys see yeah, any reindeer out there? I didn't know. I actually um, thought about trying to go hunt them this year. Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to do, I'm trying to kill uh, moose, caribou, and blacktail with my bow this year in one trip. Nice. And so I was like, I wanted to do it in three different places, but I was like, maybe I'll just try and kind of cheat, cheat a little bit and hunt them all, well, two on caribou. Um, but I didn't, I, it felt a little unfair because you just accurately describe what they are. They're reindeer. They're a feral population of reindeer that used to be uh, that the, the uh, native population used to use for riding and as sort of as pack animals. And I don't know if they let them go or they escaped. And now there's this population of reindeer that the Game and Fish Commission at some point classified as caribou so they could be hunted. Um, so they look a little different. And uh, I just felt like, yeah, so I didn't see any last year, but I thought about hunting this year. And I was like, well, they're not really caribou. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. It's like, because I really, really want caribou redemption. Because I said I didn't get to fill my tag this year. And like, I would love to kill one of those Kodiak ones. But at the same time, it's like, I really want like the real like Alaskan (laughs) wild caribou. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look so similar, though. I mean, honestly, I don't, from a biological standpoint, I don't know the difference. Um, But uh, they look, they have a little bit, their their, their antlers look a little different. Yeah. A little Not. less mass and they're a little wider. Yeah, a little thinner horn, and they're they're the coloration of their coat is a little bit different too. But yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, other than that, I really don't know the difference. And speaking of, um, you know, kind of approachable or at least logistically speaking, um, you know, oh. good kind of Western hunts for guys that are sort of starting to get into the game. Um, you know, the cat's kind of out of the bag a little bit on this coos deer thing in Arizona. Um, but you guys did that hunt this year too, right? Yeah, I've done it last, last two years. Um, it's been, it's a, it's a really fun hunt. Um, <clears throat> definitely, uh, you know, it's a, it's an over the counter archery tag. It's definitely, I, I, I think hunting coos with a bow is, is gotta be like the hardest. I heard it's really tough. Yeah. For a spot stock, you know, for spot and stock hunting, I think it's it's as hard as it gets. Um, you know, some guys hunt them over water holes. If you can find a good water hole, that's not that challenging. I think the challenge there is finding a good water hole. Um, but once you find a good water hole and you set up a blind, you're just, you know, you're sitting on it. Um, and then you just have to, you know, execute a shot at, at a reasonable distance. But the way I, uh, we've done it is spot and stock hunting. It's a great hunt. It's, it's, you know, relatively affordable as far as over the counter hunts go. Um, fair amount of deer. Um, uh, it is not an easy hunt. Um, like I said, it's, it is a frustrating hunt. Uh, it has been for me. I had, I had a kind of a, uh, uh my experiences there have been, have been frustrating. So the first year I went on the, I put a lot of stocks in on deer and, got close a couple times and then i think it was like maybe the fifth or sixth day was the only the first shot opportunity i had and it was on a it was a giant coos buck um, that had a 50 yard shot on <clears throat> he had no idea i was there and uh 
I don't think we, we didn't really talk about it in the film much, but I had a, a rest malfunction, like complete failure. And so uh, as I didn't know it at the time, but like drew back, settled my pin, shot my arrow at like three feet to the right. And I'm not above missing, but missing by three feet is is not a common experience for me. Yeah. Um, 50 yards, especially because I can, uh, I practice a lot of long distance and uh, yeah, anyways, it's just not, it's, I don't usually miss by much at 50 yards. So I was like, that's odd. Um, <clears throat> and then I, you know, went back and fiddled with my rest and it was, it, it was a drop away rest that was, it was, it got some sand or rust in there or something, mm-hmm. but it was stuck, it was sticking and it wouldn't drop away. So I, I went back to the, that day I went back and shot a bit of the truck and it was like, it was not functional. And so it was, I was able to get some like W, we had some WD-40 and I just sprayed the hell out of it because I had two days left my hunt. It was either that or, you know, we were done because I'm like, I can't take another shot of an animal with a rest that's malfunctioning because I, so, um, so I had that happen. Um, and then the last, actually the last day of the hunt, I actually could have shot a spike coos, like a little spike buck at like 30 yards. But um, just decided not to. I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I don't really want to just kill anything. So yeah. this this year I went back and uh, with with Josh, uh, my buddy Josh Kirshner, and um, <clears throat> we had a really fun hunt. Um, it was it was definitely a little bit more difficult uh, this year in terms of just like the way you know wind, stocking conditions, etc. Um, <clears throat> I got it was really dry out there this year, wasn't it? Insanely dry. <laughs> that's the interesting about arizona is last year it was lush and for the desert all the the major drainages had water in them so the deer were kind of dispersed this year there were large drainages i mean the the flowing creeks that were big enough that it was kind of hard to jump across them last year were completely dry this year hmm. um, so it was just a different dynamic um i we i in fact i backpacked into this one area before um, Josh came and joined me and to get water, it was just, it was kind of disgusting because there were these like putrid pools of water and this drainage that had like this orange allergy in them. And I, you know, backpacked in, set up my camp, dove down in this drainage. And I was like, is this, I mean, is this my option here? Is this all I got? <laughs> it, it was disgusting. Um, but, um, I drank it anyway and I haven't <laughs> died yet. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of different, different scenario. Um, and I ended up shooting and wounding a buck, um, this year that I, I was, I got, I, it was a very, again, a very humbling experience for me. <laughs> I, I saw this buck go behind this bush across the drainage from me, 120 yards away from me. And I never saw him come out. And I thought for sure he went in there and laid down. Blood was streaming down his, his body. <clears throat> and uh, I waited like two hours and then went in there and he was gone hmm. and somehow he slipped out of there. And I, I just like for the life of me, Hunter, I can't, I can't figure out what the hell happened, but he somehow snuck out of there and we followed a good blood trail for um, like 800 yards and then the blood dried up. And anyways, it's just like a Manzanita thicket out there. And if you've ever been in a Manzanita forest, it's, it's a, um, kind of a difficult place to search because it's just it yeah. is literally like just dense canopy so we searched for a while and never found him and that was it i notched my tag after that so anyways i've been i have been humbled by the coos deer twice now and i have a vendetta out for them yeah man um that's 
that's the worst losing an animal and it's uh it happens to everybody you know at some point if you're bow hunting especially yeah. i mean but anybody it happens to anybody and it's terrible feeling so hope you get redemption on that and and i did not mean to suggest by any means that it's an easy hunt i know it's a very challenging hunt i just meant i think there's more there's some um over-the-counter opportunity um and are, are, can you get an otc rifle tag as well or is it just the archery tag no just the archery tag yeah yeah it's so you can do it's basically the month of january is over the counter like any deer tag <clears throat> that tag though is so i don't my knowledge of how that tag or when that uh, of that tag is a little limited but that tag is is valid for calendar year so it goes all the way through december i don't know if there's any other hunting opportunities i think you can hunt with your bow uh in a number of units in december so you could come and or some of the other fall months so like if you struck out in january but you had a tag and a license your tag and your license are good for um 365 days from the day you bought it so mm -hmm. you could theoretically so if you went think about this you go january 20th this year and hunt and don't shoot anything um you could come back in december and I, or I think you can actually come back in like that first, you know, 15, 20 days of January and yeah, hunt cool. the same tag and the same license. Don't quote me on that, but I'm fairly certain. Yeah. Somebody's listening to this and they're like, that's not right. <laughs> um, that you may be right, but I, I believe that is the case. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> I love that about the idea of hunting Arizona is that super late season and then going back to like going to Alaska in August, I just love it because, you know, I'm so used to around here, basically, you know, your season's October through late December. Um, maybe some, we have an urban archery season here that I hunt, but it's antlerless only. Um, so, but the idea of like kind of having, be able to start in August and hunt through January, just, and you know, you're kind of getting some Western opportunity there without losing your, uh, you know, your, your honey hole and your, your good time here for the whitetails. So, but, um, real quick, just going back to Kodiak, I want to just ask you one thing about that. And then I want to move on from this, but, um, just, uh, as a guy going out there this year, you got any like uh, gear or strategy tips for, for that hunt? Ooh. Um, yeah, I probably, well, let's see gear tips. Um, I, I, I've been getting a lot of questions about that lately. Um, and I keep telling everybody I'm going to, I'll just like post up my gear list on our website, which I, I can do. I've got it written down. I just need to like put it, put it up on there. Um, I would say like definitely bring a parrot. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're flying in and flying into a lake, either be prepared to take your pants off or get wet to get out of the plane or bring a pair of hip boots with you. So, um, that's one thing I'd, I'd flag for you. Um, I mean, obviously like good rain gear cause it's Kodiak this is rain. Um, and then the other thing is that you really can't in that early season, you can't, there aren't any trees, so you can't hang your meat. So, um, this is not a plug for our game bags, but you need a good quality game bag. In fact, our pilot who didn't, doesn't know that we make game bags was like, you know, you really need some good game bags, uh, back here. And I was like, I think we'll be all right. And he's like, mm, are you sure? Um, <laughs> I was like, I know a guy who makes game bags. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we had to build. So bring a little, if you have, if you bring a little silky saw, 
Um, we built a little platform from uh, the willows down on the edge of the lake where we were at, because that was the only like shrubbery. So build a little platform so you can get airflow underneath your game bags and then take a tarp. So we just brought a little flat cut 10 by 10 tarp and pitched it and then put the game bags under that, keep them out of the rain and then use sort of the, the willows to keep, uh, to allow some airflow underneath our meat. It's just pretty warm out. And if you don't do something, your, your meat's going to get, uh, you're going to have some spoilage there. So yeah. Yeah. Other than that, just, it's just normal, you know, hunting gear stuff. How long did you stretch it on meat? I mean, we killed six deer in like 48 hours and then we had to sit another like day because of weather to wait for our pilot. And that's the thing, man, is like, just because you're ready to go home doesn't mean your pilot can pick you up a, because he's got other clients uh, and B the weather is so unpredictable that, you know, on Kodiak, you can have blue skies on one end of the island and it can be raining like hell on the other end of the island. So, um, or it can just be like the winds can be insane and it can change. I mean, literally that's, that's, that's one of the few places where I've been where that wind will go from zero to 30 in a matter of minutes. Mm. Like, it's just like calm, beautiful. Next minute you're like batting down the hatches. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Other than that, just be prepared for, you know, I, I liked having a bear fence for our camp. Um, give me a little bit of peace of mind at night. Yeah. Probably not. I don't know how necessary it is, but I, I'm going to use one again this year. Yeah. And then just in terms of like any, any tactic type stuff that you would, that stood out. Yeah. I mean, I hunted those deer like I would, I would hunt mule deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, well, I, I used two different tactics. Um, so they are, I I treated them like early season bucks out here, which is they're really not interested in does and they can be there, you know, find them in the morning, um, and either bed them, like, like watch them until they bed and then make the stop on them, uh, or try and ambush on them. So if I set five out a group of bucks or a buck that I thought was in a spot where I could get in and ambush them, I would, you know, work around to get in, get in spot, get the wind right, get in, get in close, and then just try and get in and make it happen. And we were hunting with guns, so I didn't have to get super close. Um, but I'd say those are your, I mean, if you can bed one of those bucks, you're going to have, they're going to bed down for at least a couple, a few hours. So you're going to have an opportunity to, are you bow hunting or rifle hunting? Oh, we're rifle hunting. Okay. So you don't need to get super close, but, um, yeah, I would say just, you know, it's normal. Like they were up, they were active early and they were active late. Um, but I found a number of bucks during the middle of the day, just bedded down. Um, so I didn't, even even though like during those, outside of those crepuscular periods of, of early, super early and super late, um, I just found a high point in glass with my uh, vinyls on a tripod. Yeah. If you're not, I don't know if you're into that or not, but I would definitely say like, uh, glass from your vinyls on a tripod, even though they're easy to spot, as soon as they bed down on that grass, they're bright red, they disappear instantly. So you might only catch a piece of them when they're standing up or bedded down. Okay. Yeah. Good tips, man. So shifting gears a little bit, but so Argali, I was looking at your website and it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of people probably know you guys from your knives and your game bags. Um, but you, you have a background in, in filmmaking, which is my 
I worked for a TV show for seven years as a cam op and a producer. Um, so that's kind of my background. And then I'm, I'm planning on making, making films, uh, about Kodiak and my Wyoming hunt as well. Um, and you, you did a great job self filming by the way. So oh, thanks. kudos yeah. to that. <laughs> and, um, and just, just like, a a little bit of a plug here. I mean, for guys like definitely check out the Argali website, argaliaoutdoors.com. Um, there's some films on there. So, you know, your products, but also there's some really good information like recipes. And, um, even I saw a cool article about, you know, filming gear and stuff like that. So there's definitely some cool resources on there for guys to check out. But, um, what's kind of the, um, you know, how, why, when of Argali? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a long sort of convoluted story, but the, the genesis of it was that my, my business partner, Jason, Jason is really the, the creative type, uh, in our partnership. And if any, uh, our most popular content piece we ever created was about the Frank church wilderness in Idaho. And it's about a float hunt we did. And it sort of interweaves the story of how that place was protected and why it's sort of really special to both of us. And if you're, if you're not familiar with the Frank church wilderness, it's the largest um, contiguous wilderness from lower 48. It's um, a place that's just near and dear to my heart. It's also the, the most rugged way. There is no more rugged landscape in lower 48 than Frank church. And I've, I've, I've been a, a number of places and I haven't yet to find any place that's that unforgiving. Um, and I mean that in every, the truest sense of the word. Uh, it's humbling for anybody, including me, every time I go in there. So we we wanted to, our, our origin story is we really, frankly, were kind of um, uninspired by a lot of the hunting media out there. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know your, your, your backstory as well, but, you know, I felt like I grew up watching hunting media and I felt like most of it was was really about it was kind of a long infomercial and it really had nothing to do with what i found important in hunting which was connection to place connection to people um and so um i i and, and in particular for for me this idea that like hunting is my connection to uh to the land and it's my connection to nature and i always the thing that drew me to you know sort of exploring wild country was that i just liked exploring big wild places like that's what i loved about hunting is it took me to places that i just wouldn't go to otherwise and so we wanted to tell stories that were about specific places that were not about me trying to convey to everybody else like look at this big thing i shot everybody look at me look at me look at me you know which is most of what hunting media was and in some ways still is and I just, I don't like that. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted people to be able to watch our films or our content and not really care if we shot something. Now, people care. I care. Sure. But I wanted to have a, a message that had something more than just like the rack and the kill shot and the slow-mo highlight reel. Um, and so we intentionally started with a mission of trying to show, have these other values. We made a film called Chasing Ridgelines and that was about my brother and I. And I think that people connected, the people that like that connected because whether you have a brother or a sibling or a hunting partner, there's a camaraderie and a connection that is, is really special and unique. And everybody knows that. 
Um, but we wanted to kind of show that that relationship, that film. There was no business idea. It was just a film. And then we were done. We we're going to be done. And then there was enough interest after we made that from some of the, the uh, that from some of the, the companies we worked with that I was like, let's make another film. And then I had this idea for making this series called The Last Wild Places that was about highlighting sort of the last wild places left where you could still have this wild hunting experience. And if you think about it, you know, back, you know, wasn't that long ago where the West was one giant ass wilderness. And now there is a shrinking amount of places where you can get lost. And I guarantee you, man, by the time your kids, by the time my kids are older, they're going to have a harder time getting lost in wild country than they are today. Like we're not making more wild country. And personally, for what I value, like, I don't, I don't like that. I feel like there should still be places where you can go get lost in the woods, where you can get away from cell phone towers, roads, all that stuff. And I wanted to at least like, we wanted to make this like film series that was sort of highlighting those opportunities that wasn't like in, in your face. It was more like, I think we can all appreciate the wildness and the way that hunting is connected to wildness. And so anyway, so that was, that was our content. And it really, there was no intent. Like we weren't trying to, to create a brand. I wanted to tell stories and I still want to tell stories about those places. And then at some point along the way, we just would get asked, you know, a million questions about gear we used and why using that. And so um, I just was like, you know, and, you know, so we get quite, and I, you know, I try to try and, you know, I'm like, I'm not an expert here, but like we do a lot of this stuff and here's what we use. And I realized at some point too, that's like, I'm a, I am a gear junkie by nature. I'm very specific. Um, I'm hard on gear. Um, I have used a lot of different brands. And one of the things that occurred to me at some point along the way was that the companies making a lot of gear I was using, they're not doing what we're doing. They're right. not really like, it's like you're, they're making gear. It seems like for what they think people want, but the people making it, they don't know what, I mean, they don't have the same set of experiences that we do. <clears throat> and it occurred to me, it's like, you know, I can, I think we can do this better. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, at least in some products. Yeah. And so we, I started with game bags and it's like, you know, game bag is a simple product. It was for most people, it is, and has been a throwaway product. It's like every year I used to go to Cabela's and I would buy, you know, four packs of the Alaska game bag, cheesecloth, cheap. I'd get, I'd throw away after season because I, I destroy them. And that was what game bags were. And I'm like, you know, for us as backpack hunters, primarily, it's like game bags. It could be a lightweight technical product that you can reuse. Yeah. It can have multiple purposes and 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 to be highly functional. And so that led to us creating game bags <clears throat> using high quality materials. We used a 275 pound paracord in our in our drawstring, so you can reuse it to tie a D loop in your bow if it breaks. You can hang your meat <clears throat> by your game bag. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most game bags. In fact, all game bags, I think prior to us, they've been copied a bit now. Um, you couldn't use the draw cord from the game bag cinch to hang your meat. It was a, it was a, you know, a really cheap, uh, you know, polyester cotton blend material that couldn't stand like 30 pounds of weight. So, you know, using something like a reflective material sort of integrated throughout the bag so it has easy to see at night, you know, you know, simple things that I always wanted yeah. in a game bag. I'm like, let's just try this out. I had no idea if it would if it would resonate with people, and it's it has been very you know those our game bags have been very popular. So a lot of people know us 
as the game bag company. They don't know that we actually make content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, anyway, so it's like just things like, and then our knives were a reflection of, you know, there's a million knife companies out there and there's some great knives out there. I have a whole bevy of knives that I, so I still love a lot of them, but I, you know, I'm like, I, I feel like the, the perfect hunting knife for me wasn't one that I owned. And I'm like, you know, even, I don't want to name any brands here because I feel like I, I'm being liable for like slander or something, but <laughs> some of the, some of the knives that knife brands that I really love and still love and who are giants in the space, it's like, they're making knives for what I think they think people want. They're not making it based on like use. They're not out like hunting like I am and being like, man, you know what would be great about this knife is we made it shaved an ounce off of it and made it out of, you know, S35 VN steel and put this textured handle on here. And so that was sort of the genesis of our knives is like simple, highly functional. And I wanted every, of our, every one of our knives to have, to be able to feel butcher an entire animal. No skinning knife no like deboning knife it's like no it needs the shape needs to be able to do everything i want to feel so i can carry one knife and it can cut up an entire animal without question and i want to be able to have confidence that it can do it and that was really the inspiration for our knife line and that's gone really well for us too so and i have i have a bunch of other products in the work we have a bunch of new product categories coming out here nice man um, soon as well so that's awesome yeah. Yeah, just from experience, those Alaska cheesecloth bags, they take up a lot of room in a pack, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, again, for some people, you know, you can spend $10 and buy that set of those, and that's, that's you know, better option for them. Our bags are expensive um, because they're made, <laughs> made out of high-quality materials. <clears throat> the other thing is the, the, the I think the challenge for, for a lot of people, though, is just, like, understanding that if you buy a reusable set of game bags, you can use them. 10, 15 times if you take care of them. Mm -hmm. If you buy new game bags like every other animal, it's more expensive to buy the, the less the, the, the cheaper ones. Um, so, anyways, there's just a we're, we're, I feel like we we've been trying to like change the understanding and expectations around game bags yeah. is a part of what we've been doing. It's a again, it's a super simple product, yeah. um, and I feel like all we did was bring some like just thoughtful technical design to a product that I you know. For, for me, it was always a throwaway product. Yeah, man. Um, and as it goes with gear, you know, buy once, cry once, you know, yeah. get the good stuff one time and just, you're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, you know, you mentioned like your connection to the, the, the church and all that Frank church. And, um, are you still, uh, are you still working with the wilderness society? I am. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I do a lot of I do conservation work. Um, I, I you know I believe in conservation and the conservation and hunting sort of go hand in hand. So, um, yeah, a lot of people also don't know that I this is not my full time job. Yeah, uh, it will be. It, it likely will be here soon, but it isn't yet. Cool, man. Um, do you have any? Have you done much uh, contemplation? Do you have? Um... Any thoughts on, uh, you know, the spiritual side of your connection to nature and that as far as that goes? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I keep that to myself, you know what I mean? It's a personal thing, but I don't, I don't, um, how do I, how do I put this in a way that like, I try not to, um, at least with, with our content, get too philosophical with people and emotional, um, not because it isn't emotional for me, but, um, I just don't want to tell people what they should, you know, believe sure. or 
or think about, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff for me that I'll just speak again, personally, um, I don't know where I would be, uh, as a person without access to wild country. I just don't. Um, it's, it is the closest, closest place I've ever found to what some people describe as a religious experience. And that might be offensive to some people. So I don't really like talking about it a whole lot. Um, I don't mean to be offensive when I say that, but it's true for me, it's true. And so, um, I, yeah, I, I have never been a, uh, we've never talked about this before, Hunter. So uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I've just, I've never been a religious person. Um, and, but for me, I, you know, I certainly tried growing up, going to church a lot. I tried a lot of different religions and none of it really was a good fit for me. Um, and, uh, the, the closest thing I ever found was, was hunting and nature. Yeah, man. And it still is, it's still true for me. So you can call it religion, you can call it spirituality. To me, it keeps me centered. Yeah. And I haven't found anything yet that has achieved the same level. And I don't get it from, you know, no offense, no offense to anybody that, that, that hunts in the East, but I really need to get away from everybody to have that experience. And there's something humbling about and and about being in really big country that just makes sort of puts in pers- into perspective your place in the world absolutely you're not that important nobody gives nobody gives a shit about you out in the wild country bears don't care who you are um you know you're either a meal or an annoyance or you know something else <laughs> anyways it just it it, it um, allows you to sort of like free yourself from thinking about the day to day. And I just, I don't get that when I'm around other people. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's a huge part of the draw, um, for guys like me. Um, even if, if you can't make it out West or whatever, I mean, even just going, you know, I can drive three or four hours and there's some wilderness areas in Virginia and the mountains that I can get into where, yeah, you're not going to see anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure, getting away is huge. And, you know, I, I I like how you said earlier, um, spirituality. I don't really as much like the word religion either, because to me, religion is man and uh, societal constructs and people and anything that's man and people is going to inherently have flaws and be messed up and be tainted by people's greed and jealousies and whatever. So uh, what I try to do is for me, it is important to be connected to a community of other believers, but at the same time, I make sure that um, the church is not God. God is God. The church is people. People are messed up. People are going to make mistakes. And a lot of people get hurt by the church or religion or whatever, uh, and they think, oh, well, that's God. God's messed up. But really, it was just the people that were messed up. (laughs) And so you get really a pure experience to me of the creator um in nature like you're saying man so so i think yeah I, I think it's a it's a personal question for everybody right like i i am at this point in my life know that every everybody's uh beliefs are it's a personal thing and i i really i don't think it's it's not my place to tell people what they should or shouldn't believe sure and um and i i really don't so i really don't talk about it and but you know, everybody's, I think that anybody who hunts, whether, whether you, you hunt one day a year, whether you grew up doing it and you hunt a ton, whether you hunt in the East, the West, it doesn't matter. There is something about 
being outside that sort of it is a uh, I think there there's a uh, we grew up we, we, we evolved as a species outside and there's something that is very hard to describe but you know you're like I feel like I belong here I like this and Absolutely. it might be hard for us to articulate but nobody can everybody can relate to it yeah and so um and i don't tell anybody you know i think it's really important to say that like you don't need to get lost in the wilderness to have a spiritual connection to it it's it's a personal thing like it might be your backyard park it might be your backyard for you it might be your tree stand whatever it is for you i think that's great and um i i don't I don't want to give people the impression that, well, you know, your experience is not really the right one because right. you're not doing what I'm doing or sure. I'm not doing what you're doing. It's a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Figure it out for yourself. And whatever that is, though, I think we can all agree that it has some value. And for me, that's why I come, come back to wild places. It's like wild places have had value in my life. I don't know where I would be um, as a person without it. I just don't. And I, even though I'm now um, got two kids married, we've got a business to run, got a day job, like everybody's got normal stuff they got to deal with. And it's harder, it's harder to do the things that keep you centered in life as you get older. Um, and it feels weird saying that I'm only in my thirties, but yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. life happens, man. And, but I have to make time for those things. Uh, or I get, you know, I'm not that pleasant to be around if I don't. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I'm the same way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hunting has, you know, a lot of people coming from the outside might be like, man, they're making a huge deal about hunting. Like, but yeah, it's been something that's, um, it's been a constant in my life, even through some dark times. And it's been yeah. something that's been transformative for me. Um, and to me, it's like, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, why, why is this such a big thing in my life? And like, a lot of it going back to what you're saying too is like we are three part beings you know we're spirit soul and body uh, as far as i see it and um hunting to me is like the only thing that like is challenging and nourishing to all three parts of our being like it's and you're just like if, if you want to look at it just from like a physiological and psychological standpoint even you're stacking so many things in one like you said that camaraderie time outside exercise you know, light into your eyes, uh, you know, UV light exposure, um, like just so many things in one, like mental challenge, physical challenge, cold exposure, so many things that are just like positive and like good for your body and mind and spirit, like all wrapped up into one activity. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. We're, we're hardwired to hunt as a species. Yeah. There's no, there's no denying that. And the, Frankly, all of the, I, uh, I think most people can relate to this. When your cell phone is off for an hour or two, you might still be distracted by the idea of the modern world. So there was a really great study that looked at, you know, um, meetings. And, you know, when you have people in a conference room, <clears throat> and I think people can relate to this if they've been in the situation. If you put everybody, if you are in a conference room and you set your phone on silent, but it's on the table, the... By looking at your phone, your brain starts spinning. You can't pay attention to what's happening in the room. 
And so like, you just like, we're, we're so used to being distracted and not being able to focus that one of the few places where I can have some like clarity of thought and focus is outside. Um, and, and for extended periods, all the best ideas I've had for products have been on trips. Now it's not like a automatic thing, but they have all been on trips. Yeah. Um, we've got a, um, if you want a little uh, sneak peek, I haven't made this announcement yet. We got a product coming out here in a few weeks, um, but I can let everybody know about. And this product idea came from uh, a trip. Um, so when you're ready, Hunter, I can I can go into the, the product idea. But I think there's like you yeah, know, you can for if me, you want. Like, what's that? You can if you want. Yeah, for me, anyways, it's like the that's the only place I get it. Um, the uh, the product is a. Uh, We've been asked to uh, make knife sharpeners a number of times because we make knives and I'm just like, eh, I can't really make anything that's like better than what's out there for the most part. Um, there's a lot of like inexpensive items out there. But for me, like the the golden ticket of gear is when it has multiple a multiple use, mm -hmm. multiple functionality, which our game bags have multiple functionality. Um, and so I, I thought I had this idea of integrating making a belt with a buckle that have, had materials that you can shape, sharpen, and hone any knife with. And so, um, nice. so our belt, which we're going to launch, launch in a couple of weeks, it's called our Kodiak belt. And it's, it's a great product and it can fully function, fully functions as a knife sharpener. It's That's a belt awesome. you'd want to wear anyway, because it just functions super well. But, um, but yeah, the idea for that product came on a trip and it took me two years to figure out how to make it um in a way that worked from a manufacturing standpoint yeah but i only have those anyways i only have those ideas when i'm out i just i can't get the space to just like be at peace mentally you yeah. have like creative thought no that's awesome man that sounds like a cool product um and yeah totally and stuff is just born of necessity out there you know um uh i know we're getting a little close on time here so but um Real quick, from your work with the Wilderness Society, I just wanted to ask, are there any, like, big issues that, like, people should be aware of right now, like, in terms of land use that, um, you know, is, like, you know, people need to, like, be aware of? You know, um, gosh, there's probably a million of them. I, I, <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think everyone's kind of, we're, we're trying to figure out, I, I mean, no is the short answer and yes. Um, at the same time, I think one of the things that I've noticed recently is, you know, a few years ago, there was a sort of movement around the West to to privatize public lands. And I've seen sort of the beginnings of that movement coming back right now, which is kind of terrifying because it's it's I've seen it in several Western states anyway. <clears throat> so that's one I'd say people just, you know, if you use public land and like the idea of having access to public land, you should really pay attention to that issue because it's. It, it doesn't, it's not dead. It's far from it. And there have been a number of bills in Western legislatures that have come up recently um, that are very like subversive attempts to, um, you know, put a, put a number, put a value, a market value on public lands and, or, you know, try and say like, oh, we want to like, you know, uh, figure out, uh, we want to study the idea of what happens if we were to like privatize some of them or, transfer them to the state, like, you know, the, the, the real intent behind all of these is there are some people who just don't like the idea of public land yeah. and would much rather, they don't care. They're not hunters. They could care less. 
if it were privatized um, because they're not using it. So yeah, I think that's the biggest one. I think people should be really kind of like tuned into because I think it's 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 likely coming back. Yeah. Well, that could be a podcast in itself. And if you are interested, <laughs> yeah, if you are interested in that stuff, Brad knows a lot about this. And actually, you can go and listen to. He did a really good episode with Steve Ranella, a meat eater. Uh, I listened to it earlier. Uh, so if you're interested in, in land use topics and stuff like that and want to kind of hear more, I would say go back and listen to that. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I want to um, be respectful of your time and I know you got a lot going on. So I appreciate your time. This has been a really cool conversation. Is there anything else you'd want to add or? No, not at all, man. I, I appreciate you uh, having us on and you know, if people want to, I've got a lot, we, our website has tons of content. Um, and if, you know, if you have any questions about Alaska or gear, um, we've got a lot of, we covered a lot of that stuff in our, in our written content on our website, or, you know, feel free to track me down. And, uh, I try and get back to people as much as I can. Um, it's harder every day, but, um, try and help you. So if anybody has any questions on that, um, just let me know. And yeah, truly thanks for having me on and nice yeah, to meet you. Yeah, you too, man. I, and I appreciate you because, uh, yeah, I emailed Brad about being on the show and I think you got back to me in like a couple hours. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and we made it and we made the podcast happen in like a day or two. So that's, that's definitely outside the norm. So I appreciate that. And yeah, definitely echo what he said. Uh, there's some great films on the argaliaoutdoors.com, um, the Argali website. Um, and, uh, like some, like I said, there's like a, a really killer, um, dehydrated oatmeal recipe and like some, just some good stuff on there. So check the website out, um, check them out on Instagram. Uh, what's your Instagram handle? It's Argali. Uh, Argali underscore official is our, yeah. and then my, my just like personal one, which is boring because it's like kid stuff and whatever else <laughs> I find. Brad A. Brooks at Brad A. Brooks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're in the market for game bags, quality game bags or a, a backcountry knife, definitely check them out. And remember you can save 10% at checkout if you use code HQ10. Anyway, yeah, man, it's been great talking to you. Likewise. All right, brother. Well, thanks for listening guys. And, uh, make sure you stick around for the next episode. See you then. Thanks again for listening to the Hunter's Quest podcast and make sure you stay up to date on social media at the Hunter's Quest on Instagram and the Hunter's Quest podcast on Facebook and we'll have all kinds of photos and videos from my day to day as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're having on here. As always, I'm more than happy to connect with you guys if you have questions about hunting or spiritual stuff or gear, fitness. Whatever, just drop me a line in my DMs or you can email me at hunter at thisishuntersquest.com. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button and leave me a rating and a review. That's really helpful. And don't forget to share with your friends. So stay tuned. Lots of cool stuff in the works. And I'm really excited to continue this quest together. Oh,